6.30 Chad Afternoons with Jalen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad. Uh, an absolutely fascinating read by the justice reporter for the Edmonton Journal and Edmonton Sun. It's titled Grace Life, How an Edmonton Area Church Became the Center of Alberta's COVID-19 Fight. And in it, uh, Johnny Wakefield, the reporter, takes a deep dive into what he calls the once little-known church on the outskirts of Edmonton and how it became a flashpoint in the battle. Johnny, welcome to the show. Hello. I want to thank you for taking the time this afternoon. Uh, I was absolutely fascinated by this article, and I think probably a lot of people uh, were or or certainly will be if they haven't read it yet because people want to know more about what has happened and uh, a little bit more details. And um, I'm curious to know how you managed to get some of these details. I I read about affidavits. I mean, was this all a part of the the court case and and Pastor Coates being in jail? Right. Well, I mean, this is all information that was sort of out there. Um, I was really kind of interested in doing a story that that pulled together what had happened before this church hit the news. And I looked back, and I mean, I'm sort of on COVID time like everyone, and I have a bit of difficulty (laughs) remembering what happened last week, let alone a few months ago. But really, this church didn't find itself in the headlines until December when it started uh, sort of violating the... COVID-19 restrictions on, uh, on on worship services in December. Um, and so as part of the story, I wanted to look back sort of at how this church weathered the first part of the pandemic. And when I did that, I, I wanted to go back even further and kind of understand where this church came from in the first place. So that's sort of what this article ended up being about. Yeah, let's go back to the start, because uh, at the start of the pandemic, this church was in compliance with the rules, wasn't it? Well, for the most part, um, you go back and you read the public statements that they made, uh, mostly to just the congregation at that point. They were saying a lot of the same things that pretty much any organization was saying in the spring of 2020. Um, when COVID first hit, I mean, they were talking about their concerns and what they were hearing from health officials and how they were going to move to online worship. And even then, I mean, they were, they were expressing misgivings about how long they were going to do, uh, just, uh, online worship and under what circumstances, uh, the pastor James Coates cited a bunch of scripture saying on the one hand, we're told in uh, the book of Hebrews that we're supposed to meet in person to worship, but also the book of Romans says we're supposed to follow the governing authorities. So at this point, we think we should do that. And it was very interesting when they returned to in-person worship in June, you read their announcement. And again, it sounds like pretty much any other organization at that time, they were saying, we're going to have space for social distancing. We're going to have masks. We're going to do hand sanitizer. We're asking you not to hug and shake hands at first. So it was very interesting seeing them go from that to the sort of defiant organization that we know now, which is have their church physically fenced off and are apparently <laughs> holding secret um, yeah. secret services at, a, at an undisclosed location. 
So before we get into, you know, a little bit more on, you know, what happened when, uh, you know, come June, come come July, and when AHS got involved, can tell us a little bit about the history of this church. This was one of the things that I was really interested in, in finding out, because I think to understand that and, and learn a little bit more about uh, the history of the church and this master's seminary as well, kind of sheds a little bit more light on, on, um, on, on where we are today. Well, the church was, was founded, I believe, I don't have my article in front of me, but I think it was 2005, and at the time, um, if you look at the documents that they filed when they, they created the religious society, um, it says that they're formally non-denominational. The name of the church was originally, I think it was um, Grace Reformed Baptist Church of Edmonton. They changed their name to Grace Life in 2012. I don't fully understand why. And around that time, I think a little before, James Coates joined as a pastor, and Coates and his two co-pastors all at some point attended a seminary called Master Seminary in Southern California. It's located in a uh, in a neighborhood in Los Angeles, and it's run by a, a very big figure in sort of the evangelical community in the United States named John MacArthur. He's in his 80s now, and he's been preaching at a, a megachurch in L.A. Mm-hmm. called Grace Community Church, I think since the late 60s. He's been there a very long time. And they didn't really at any point grace life didn't really hide this i mean they were very open about where all master seminary grads were receiving support from master seminary and people who attended that institution and it was interesting to me to look back and and realize that john macarthur has been doing the same thing with his church in la i think since last july so there's sort of evidence that people who have attended this seminary sort of saw that last july saw this very influential figure defying authorities when it came to COVID 19 and opening their churches and it sort of made the same decision and there are master seminary grads who are doing that but i've also talked to people connected to the seminary who say that there are also graduates who are obeying the public health orders so uh, yeah. it seems like there's sort of a bit of tension there in the, the community associated with that seminary the justice reporter for the Edmonton Journal, the Edmonton Sun, Johnny Wakefield, joining me this afternoon, uh, doing uh, just finishing up a, about a 4,000-word uh, article on Grace Life Church. It's titled How an Edmonton Area Church Became the Center of Alberta's COVID-19 Fight. So when you look at, you know, from the start of it into, you know, June of last year into July when um, when uh, HS got involved, the first public health inspections, that sort of thing, we'd heard, you know, word that violations uh, were observed at each visit how did that how did it change and how did it almost it seem like um uh, pastor Coates um and maybe you know members of the church were just digging their heels in a little bit more some of the language being used as far as you know the so-called pandemic you know the pandemic in quotes that had kind of changed over the over the months hadn't it yeah and they put out uh, the the statement you're referring to in february when this really began to become a, a controversy that a lot of people were paying attention to they put out a statement uh, basically downplaying the pandemic, suggesting that they had spoken to doctors and scientists and kind of concluded that um, this wasn't as serious as people had made it out to be and that the restrictions on their worship were too onerous and that um, really we should just sort of go back to living our lives as it were. Um, it's kind of unclear to me. Uh, I mean, the church wouldn't speak to me directly. Um mm-hmm. 
but it, it's unclear to me exactly what changed, but I mean, I think it's a lot of people have sort of observed that change and maybe people they know um, over the course of the pandemic. I mean, there's been sort of a hardening of views. There have been people yeah. who are um, looking for sort of sort of that that answer to this complex thing we're facing that, you know, the, the experts have been wrong and that we don't need to completely change our society to, to deal with this. And um, I suspect that's sort of what happened in the church over the ensuing months between when they, they like everyone else, went to online services yeah. and uh, when they sort of became the huge controversy that they are. Um, but I don't know exactly sort of what changed. <laughs> What, what do we know about uh, the, the COVID cases at the church? So that's kind of a complicated question. So we know that they had some in July. That's according to an affidavit that Coates had filed as part of the, the court case against him. He was charged with um, various public health offenses and some issues related to his bail, which is what ended up with him being behind bars. Um, but he had said that in July they had some cases and they used this sort of passive language. It was determined that the spread had not taken place in the church by the church leadership. And at that time they did return to online-only services and sort of took the steps that, mm. that I guess AHS would expect them to take. So we know there have been some cases. AHS says that there is not been an outbreak there that they're aware of um, and of course they use different definitions for outbreaks in different settings um, but they, they when their message is that, that these are outbreaks that they're aware of so it's unclear the extent to which Grace Life has been cooperating with them if there have been outbreaks so we know there have been some cases we don't really know how many we don't know if um, you know, if everything was out in the open, if there has been a formal yeah, outbreak yeah. of any kind. But, um, but yeah, that's sort of where the two parties are at on that. Johnny, you did. You were able to document um, kind of some of the experiences of the HS uh, inspectors who were on hand to to see what was going on. Was there, you know, any any one of those that really jumped out at you where you went, whoa? Um, so that's what happened. Because I think all of us have been really curious to know what exactly, you know, was seen, what was what was going on, and, and the reaction that um, that they received when when uh, they were allowed into the building. Yeah, I mean the scenes we've seen some of those from the outside. I mean we've we've seen would people live streaming each other, the AHS inspectors and the church members when they try to gain entry to the building. Um, it, it seems like it's been pretty tense the entire time. Um, there were a few uh, inspections that were described in court documents there was one where one of the the health inspectors and two rcmp members showed up had a bit of a confrontation with some church members outside who said look we'll let you in but we're just making clear that this is over our protests and so these officials the health inspector and the two rcmp members enter the church and apparently they go up to the balcony and everyone's pointing phones at each other uh recording what's happening <laughs> and uh apparently Coates at one point asked the um the congregation to sort of acknowledge the health inspectors and the authorities there and they apparently um according to this ahs report stood up many of them cheered and clapped which um Obviously, you have people who aren't wearing masks and clapping and cheering in a closed space during a 
respiratory pandemic uh, that, that could be concerning. So, um, the, yeah, these um, 18, I believe is the number, these 18 health inspections at AHS did seem like they were always fairly tense. And that's, of course, culminated last week when the health authority went in and put up fencing around the church. I, I'm wondering, and you and you touched on this in the article as well, and I had wondered about it, um, you know, when you look at um, um, the evangelical movement in North America, which has certainly grown over the past number of years, um, you know, independent churches, do they have to, are there, there, are there rules that they have to follow compared to like maybe, you know, other, um, you know, church organizations? That's something I'm not a total expert on, but talking to religious studies scholars, the view sort of seemed to be that when you have an independent church, which um, Grace Life seems to be, obviously they have ties to other churches, mm-hmm. um, but that, um, I mean, you don't have like a former hierarchy, like a priesthood or something. And yeah. um, I'm probably just going to pick out a denomination here and get it wrong. But like, say if mm-hmm. it was a Lutheran pastor doing this or a Presbyterian, I believe they have former formal church hierarchies and they could face some sort of pressure from the people above them. But um, it looks like in the case of Grace Life, it's sort of, um, you know, up to the discretion of the individual church leaders, which may sort of be sort of one of the factors that's at play here that's that's creating this tension. Before I let you go, Johnny, um, you talked to someone who went to the Master's Seminary um, in the past. I think he, he he left. And there's been a lot of question, you know, why can't some of these churches just go online, right? Like so many of the other uh, religious uh, groups across the province. Why can't they just go online? And I've said it right here on the show, like seriously, go online like everybody else has been doing. Um, you, know, um, it, you know, a lot of folks you know a church can be really anywhere it's it's you know your experience you can you can take that anywhere what did what did that person that you talked to say about um the online experience or the the belief um that he was under uh, was uh you know under the understanding of through this master seminary well it's interesting like i said it seems like there is um obviously the leadership of that seminary seems to be leaning more towards telling people to open their churches. Um, John MacArthur's been pretty clear about that. He's been praising Coates quite a bit for what he's done. Uh, The seminary actually put out a statement comparing him to the Christian martyrs throughout history. Um, But like I said, it does seem, according to the student who I spoke to, a former student, that there are um, people who are associated with the seminary and indeed faith groups around the world who don't see any issue with taking the sort of steps that are being asked of them right now. Um, and again, I mean, a lot of that comes down to like their understanding of the theology and the Bible. Yeah. Um, and particularly that book of Romans that we were talking about seems to be the, <laughs> the issue for most Christian congregations. But, um, yeah, I mean, it is, it is worth em- em- emphasizing that the vast majority of faith groups are finding ways yeah. to, to do this without meeting in person. Johnny, I just have to say it was a, it was really insightful and uh, a really really interesting piece, and uh, want to thank you for for putting it out there, taking the time, and and going through those uh, those affidavits and doing those interviews. Do want to mention again, I think you had requested interviews with Pastor Coates and have been turned down, correct? Yes, that's that's right.
All right. Johnny, thanks for joining me this afternoon. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, you betcha. Johnny Wakefield, you can check out uh, the story at uh, at the Edmonton Journal uh, at, the, at their webpage. You can follow Johnny on Twitter as well. Just uh, just interesting. I'm always I'm always interested to find out, you know, a little bit more of uh, behind the scenes uh, stories of things. And uh, as I said, uh, a lot of this information in Johnny's article coming from the affidavits from uh, from from the case when uh, Pastor Coates uh, was arrested and the, and the court case as well. Uh, by the way, Pastor Coates does um, the uh, the next phase of all of this, uh, his trial on the remaining Public Health Act charge set for May 3rd. It's not over, my friends.